Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters. Welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today we're going to be talking about a very controversial, I think, topic, which is Jennings 8 or Jeff Davis 8. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, we want to tell you where you can hang out with us on social media. If you have Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, what are you doing? Run right now. Go like all our pages. Just (laughs) do it. Go do it. And if you want to hang out with us kind of more, we always say like, it's always weird because we're like in a more intimate way, but like that's what always comes out. You, but like That's you, not me. I know. <laughs> I don't know why. But if you want to hang out with us and actually interact with us on a semi-regular basis, and I say semi-regular for myself because, you know, I like things. But our Facebook group is a really fun place. We have a book club. There are discussion posts. Like if you like what we're talking about here or you want to go talk about it, we have threads in there. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And we have a bunch of other fun stuff in there as well. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. For little as a dollar, you can support the show and get extra bonus content each month. One extra episode, $2 and up, you get three extra episodes, $5 and up, you start getting video content and Tara's amazing haunted grounds, which is so fun. And May was my birthday month. So she let me pick the topic and it was like Mm -hmm. slightly disappointing because of like... (laughs) The fact that (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was like made up, but I was so excited about it nonetheless. (laughs) It was still a good story. It was a great story. It just wasn't true. And it broke my heart Mm -hmm. that it wasn't true. It's okay. You know. (laughs) And there's other fun things that happen on our Patreon. You definitely don't want to miss out. Go ahead and click the link tree in the show notes and you can go over and just kind of like browse what we have going on over there. Before we get into the episode, we're going to take a quick promo break and we'll be back in just a moment. Hey there, everybody. My name's Cortland. And I'm Brandon. And this is the Up All Night Horror Anthology Podcast, where we cover every horror anthology show that we can get our hands on. We've already reviewed all of Are You Afraid of the Dark? We've set our sights on Goosebumps next. Do you love to laugh at amazing 90s Canadian horror shows? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. So join us every Tuesday for new episodes to keep you up all night. Well, welcome back from that promo break. We hope you enjoyed it. Our drink for the week is just going to be a very simple New Orleans hurricane because we are going to be heading to Louisiana for the story. And I think sometimes you just need a hurricane to have that like sugar rush and boozy time. So Mm -hmm. definitely check that out on our Pinterest. 
which is in the show notes. Do it. Okay, so today I'm going to give you the background and kind of like I'm going to talk about the murders and then I'm going to hand it over to Tara, who's going to talk about the clusterfuck, the frustrating investigation (laughs) or lack thereof. It's fine. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I better dial it in. We had a bad review saying our sassy attitude. Not sassy. They said a different word. I don't fucking remember now. But basically, our sassy attitudes needed to be in check. Uh, Not gonna happen. They can kindly take (laughs) a walk off the fuck off cliff because (laughs) I do not think so. My sassy attitude was I was born with that shit. So and y'all know we're not assholes about bad reviews. We leave them. I just don't tell Jessica about them 99% of the time when we get them every so often. But like in real time, I just move. I'm sorry. I have to. I have to vent for a second. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I just moved. My office is empty, but I think I've done an okay job. And CK is like audio magician, so we should be okay. But anyways, I've had all kinds of fuckery with my house stuff and then my car. So I had to talk about our sassy attitude because there's going to be a lot of sass today. <laughs> Sometimes these cases need sass in them because you're somebody needs to say, what the fuck is somebody doing? And It's not always like, excuse me, sir, can I have a detailed report of what you're doing? No, somebody sometimes needs to walk up to these detectives and be like, are you fucking crazy? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And that's also not me being a brat because like we've both said multiple times, we know we're not everybody's cup of tea, but for those that love us, thank you. So yeah. And you're going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you with all these people? We'll get to that later. Okay. I'm done now. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about the Jennings 8 murders or the Jeff Davis murders. And I just want to, I have to stop myself when I say Jeff Davis because I want to say Jefferson Davis, (laughs) but they, Mm -hmm. they cut it. Okay. So these murders took place in Jennings, Louisiana, which is located in the Jefferson Davis Parish. It's located in Southwest Louisiana. So kind of like the way I look at it, it's like middle Southwest, if that makes any sense at all. Mm Mm-hmm. The parish has a total of 660 square miles. 651 square miles of that is land and 7.2 square miles is water. So that's a big portion of water. It's like 1% is water. I thought I had to share that little tidbit. Mm -hmm. So Jefferson Parish is comprised of five incorporated towns, which is Elton, Felton, Jennings, Lake Arthur, and Walsh. There's a bunch of like unincorporated towns, but I didn't want to go into that. In 2018, they estimated that the population was 31,582 people living in the parish. And during the time of the murders, which was between 2005 and 2008, that ranged between 31,435 to 31,000 594 people living in the parish. So not a big area. This is like the whole, like I live in California, so we have counties. So it's like be like the whole county. I was going to ask if a parish is like a county, but that makes sense now. Gotcha. Yeah. That's the only thing I can equate it to. I might be wrong. In 2005, the parish was damaged significantly by Hurricane Rita, which caused more wind damage and flooding through the western part of the parish. The storm also caused a wildlife refuge to become infected with salt water, which then killed some animals and stuff mm-hmm. because like, they weren't mm-hmm. adaptable. In Jennings, Louisiana, which is where most of this takes place, if not all of it, in 2019, the estimated population was about 9,800 people. And that actually has decreased from 2010 when the population was 10,384 people. Hmm. So, you know, it has gone down. 
The city itself is 10.3 square miles, which 10.2 of that is land and 0.04 miles is water. That seems still pretty significant. It's like 0.19%, but that's... Yeah, that's still a lot. There's something you should know about Jennings. Jennings is literally like one of those towns where like a railroad track divides good and bad. If you live on the good side of the railroad tracks, nothing really happens to you. But if you live on the bad side, most people are addicted to drugs. Like there's a documentary on the Discovery, on Discovery Plus that Tara pointed out for me to watch. And it was heartbreaking just like how many adults, their life on heroin or crack or whatever, meth, whatever they were doing was just normal. Mm-hmm. I know. And I was like, they would all talk about it like, yeah, I've been a, I've been a crack addict for 20 years. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> No, that's not how we tell. We don't tell people that. Yeah. And this also led to a lot of like sex work because a lot of girls who were addicted to drugs did a lot of either like they would do sex work for money to buy drugs or it would be like a sex for trade for drugs. So it was like this vicious cycle with a lot of these girls. Mm hmm. So we're going to start on May 20th, 2005, which I was like, why of all the days of the year does it have to be this day? It's Mm. my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) On May 20th of 2005, the town would be literally forever changed. That was the day they found the body of Loretta Lynn Chasen. She was born on November 26, 1978. And so she was 28 at the time. And she was last seen on May 17th, 2005, which is something to note is generally the timeline between when someone was last seen and when they were found. Typically, it's no more than a few days Mm. until like the very end. Loretta had two brothers, Chad and Nicholas, and they said she was a loving mother, daughter, and was fiercely loyal and was always there when they needed her. She had two young boys who were three and six at the time. Loretta's body was found floating in the East Fork of the Grand Marie Canal a few miles southwest of Jennings. So it's like just north of the Louisiana Highway 1126 Bridge. I bet they say it so differently, like local. And they're probably like people who they're like, what did she just say? (laughs) And that was about three miles west of Louisiana Highway 26. She was partially clothed but had no shoes on. And it was advanced decomp. And so it was difficult for them to identify her or collect evidence. Now, we're talking three days. Like, we're not talking six weeks. And yes, she was found in a canal. And canals in Louisiana typically have gators, Mm -hmm. you know. And then I was also thinking, like, humidity, too, and all of that. I know that can come into play. So, oof. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it wasn't a lot. Jefferson Davis Parish deputies identified her via fingerprint because, like I said, she had been a known sex worker. So because of that, she at least had, like, some sort of identifier on file. Otherwise, she might not have been identified. Mm Mm-hmm. Some sources say that she had a history of mental illness and physical health problems. She wasn't good at like maintaining relationships outside of like her family unit. And she did really struggle with addiction. And it was really common for her to do like the sex for drug trade. When they ran a toxicology report, they found that she had high levels of drug and alcohol, which I'm just going to caveat. Every single victim that we talk about, this is a common factor. But they didn't have a cause of death. 
According to her family, Loretta allegedly had told the family that a detective with the Jennings Police Department had asked her to spy on a drug deal. So her family were like, I'm going to tell the police this. But it went to nowhere. Mm. On June 28th of 2005, which is not that much longer, that's less than a month, Mm -hmm. another body was found. And that was of Ernestine Daniels Patterson. And she was born September 11th, 1974. And she was 30. And she was also the oldest victim at her time of death. She was found in a canal off Louisiana 99 by fisherman. She'd last been seen on June 16th, 2005. She was survived by four children, two boys and two girls. Mm. Autopsy found that her throat had been slit, but she also, again, had a high level of drugs and alcohol in her system, like crazy high. Which I think is just, it's so crazy that you'd have these like really high levels. Now, I want to say something about Ernestine. My heart breaks because I did a shit ton of Googling on this woman. And the problem is, is that there's not a lot known about her. Yeah, it's so sad. I hate that. Yeah, that breaks my heart because some of these girls, like, you can find a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So if you know her or knew her, reach out and let us know her story. I would be happy to do a follow-up and talk about her life because she is important. Mm -hmm. And there are four children out there who don't have a mom today. And the fact that, like, when I Google her, I don't find much about her breaks my heart. So A hundred percent. Yeah. So if you know about her, like, I don't need to know about the gruesome death part. I just want to know about, like, her life. Who she was as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what music did she listen to? Does she have a favorite movie? Like, these are the things that we need to start talking about with victims because they were people. Exactly. A year and nine months later. So we're into 2007 now. The body of Kristen Gary Lopez would be found. This would be 638 days after the discovery of Ernestine Patterson. And she was found in a rural area off Cherokee Road off 99, which is about 10 miles from the town of Walsh. And it was said to be found by a fisherman. I don't know. Like, I keep thinking of the people who find these individuals also. And Mm. like, I really hope they got trauma counseling. This town does not seem like they would give trauma counseling, but like, I really hope. So Christine was last seen on March 6th of 2007. She was reported missing by her girlfriend, Tracy Chasen, who if you are like, that name sounds familiar, would be the cousin of our first victim. They were first cousins. So I was just like, wow. Like, you know, you hear small town, 9,800 people like this is this is going to get like two degrees Kevin Bacon people. Oh, my God. Yeah, so much. And all and here's the thing. All of these victims knew each other. All of them. So Kristen was born on November 27th, 1985, and she was only 21 years old at this time. A toxicology reported, again, that the levels in her system of drug and alcohol were extremely high. She was found nude, but they couldn't give cause of death due to decomp and disintegration of the body. Mm-hmm. And again, she was last seen March 6th, reported missing March 15th, and then found three days later. So we don't really know how long she yeah. was out there. 55 days later, Jennings would then have add another victim to their list of murders. Whitney Charlene DeBeau was a 26-year-old woman, went missing. She was also... Well, no, no, I don't even... Like, I'm going to take that statement back. She didn't go missing. She just was gone and then found, if that makes sense. Like, people didn't really know she was missing, missing. She was another one who was into drugs and was also a sex worker. Whitney's discovery was a little different. She wasn't found on a canal. She was found, she was found on a rural road at the intersection of Bobby and Earl Dunnan Road, approximately five miles outside of Jennings, Louisiana. So the rural area is between Louisiana 102 and US 90. It's not a very well traffic like a heavy trafficked area by any means but it is used by like residents and farmers and i understand that because like i grew up on a street that was not heavily used but was definitely traveled daily so 
I get that concept. Whitney was identified by her fingerprints. She was found nude. And though the death was never officially determined, again, high levels of drugs and alcohol were in her system. Whitney was last seen on May 10th, 2007, but was not reported missing. And she did take off from time to time. It seemed upon her discovery, Whitney had been deceased for several days, though it was like May 12th was when she was discovered. So it was like just a couple of days. Whitney was survived by her five-year-old daughter, whose name was Beyonce, or is Beyonce, I should say. She's still there. And literally so cute. Oh my God. I know. My heart, like when they were like her daughter Beyonce, I was like, who? No, not the B. And she called herself B. And I was like, mm, I love it. And it was like, this is so heart wrenched. Like my heart just like crumbled when I was reading this because it was Mother's Day, like weekend. They found her on a Friday. And I think she had just come home from school and she had a Mother's Day card for her mom. I know. Oh my God. And she couldn't give it to her. Yeah. So I was just like, my heart was broken for her. Now, Jennings would get a little break because there wouldn't be another murder until they wouldn't find a body, at least until May 29th of 2008. And I just want to say this. There's a lot of May connections here. So like something's going on with somebody and Jennings around May. Something goes off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm horrible at pronunciation, so I really hope I get this name right. Lacania Chantel Brown, who also went by the name Muggy, which I think is cute. I don't know. I just I was like, that's such a sassy name. Mm-hmm. I love it. She was 23 years old at the time of her death. She was found around 2 a.m. on May 29th by a Jennings police officer who discovered her body on Rocca Road, which led to the police firing range, which is an interesting place to dump a body because mm. one, that's fucking ballsy because I don't know how long those ranges are open for. But if let's say it's open, I mean, this guy found her at 2 a.m. So like... You know, it's at least open at two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's ballsy. Although in a rural area, Muggy's body was the first to be found within city limits. So that also could be a thing. She was clothed but had no shoes on, which was like our first victim. So to connect those, her throat had been slit like our second victim, but her body had been doused in bleach. She was said to be wearing a white tank style shirt and it was stained white to pink, which people think the white to pink was because of the blood and then the bleach diluting it, which would cause the red to go to pink. Yeah. Her family stated that she may have known something horrible was about to happen to her because she was actively living in fear days prior to her death. The her death is like the first real one to be ruled a suicide or not a suicide, a homicide. Everyone else's was kind of like ruled like an accidental overdose, which I'm like, uh, one of the girls also had her throat slit Mm -hmm. and you didn't call that an accidental overdose. 105 days later, our next victim would be found. Her name was Crystal Shea Zeno. She was found on September 11th, 2008, around 3 p.m. Hunters discovered her body when they were, like, walking in this, like, wooded area. Obviously, they were going out earlier. Um, And it was near a dry irrigation canal. So I don't know if maybe the person thought, oh, there's a canal over here and then got there and was like, shit, there's no water here. Mm -hmm. But the hunters had reported smelling something foul. And when they went to investigate, they found her. Crystal's story is a little different. Her parents 
I don't know, this kind of broke my heart too. Because her parents were very much like, we don't know why Crystal was doing the things she was doing. Because like, it wasn't like she was out having to go like be a sex worker for money. Like they, they helped her out. I think a lot of it was just for the drug culture that she was in. And I'm not like, I want you guys to know that we're not shaming anyone who is in that culture. Mm -mm. We understand Mm -mm. addiction is a real thing. I know that some people get into it recreational and it takes over their life. I've watched it happen with people. There was a kid I grew up with who I thought was like the most amazing kid ever. He was an amazing skateboarder. And then after we graduated high school, it was like every time I saw him, he was strung out and it broke my heart. And it's so hard for I mean, the town area I grew up in, that's a path that people take quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And addiction isn't just hard drugs. It's like medication, like medical prescribed things. So mm-hmm. no, there is no shame. We're not looking down on anyone. I wanted to preface that. If you need help, we will help you find resources, like information. 100%. Anyway, so Crystal was employed by Sonic, the restaurant in Lake Arthur and she liked to fish and sing and she enjoyed listening to music. She also loved spending time with her daughter, Anony. I think that's how it said, Anony. Crystal went missing on August 29th, 2008 and her mother said that she was into drugs and partying and that she was just basically her mom. She told her mom, hey, I'm going to this party at like the VFW or whatever and then she just disappeared. She vanished. Her mom filed a missing persons report and I thought this was really like special. Her mom like when they, you know, were making a credit to the public for help to find her. Her mother wrote, how beautiful you are. Your smile is forever a reminder of how special you are. Oh, this was, sorry. This was after, my apologies. This was like after they had found her. Your smile is forever a reminder of how special you are. It's almost been a year, but it seems like yesterday that you were taken away from us. Obviously that like, that breaks anyone's heart. And then she went on to say if anyone had any information to contact them. But I just thought that was really beautiful that her mother like remembered her in such a positive way. Because a lot of the conversations around these women are, they just talk about them like they're trash. And it just breaks my heart. When Crystal's body was discovered, it was so badly decomposed that they couldn't identify her. In fact, it took two months for them to be able to figure out how to identify her. And it's so sad because the story is, is like her parents were just trying to have like some normalcy in their life. So they went to like, this is one of those towns where like football's everything. So everybody in the community goes to a football game and they were at the local football game when the coroner was like, Aww. he was walking up to them at the football game to tell them that they had did. So like everybody is staring at them. And oh, to top no. it off, it was her dad's birthday. Oh. So it was like, bum, 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 crash. I was just like, oh, I cannot. I, I don't know how to handle that. Right. Oh, my God. Heartbreaking. Now, our next victim is also extremely sad because of the age. 17-year-old Brittany Gary went missing on November 2nd, 2008. She had been bugging her mom all day because she wanted to go to the Family Dollar, which was like a dollar store, and it was only list, like only about five blocks from their house. Her mother, Teresa, was like, no, no, no. We have stuff to do around the house. We got to get it done. And when everything was finally done, Brittany was like, can I please go put minutes on my phone? Because that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to go buy like, I don't know how they work. Like you buy a card and then like add minutes to it. I think that's how that works. So... She was like, mom, can I please go? Teresa was like, fine. But it was like dark out. And like part of her was like, I don't want her to go. But like she did everything I asked her for. I don't know why. So she let her walk the five blocks, which I don't think was something that she had. Like, I think she's let her do that before. So it wasn't that big of a deal. The surveillance footage shows her purchasing the calling card or the refill card and then walking out the door and just fucking vanishing. There's like no trace of her. After some time had gone by and Teresa realized that she should have been home, like it shouldn't have taken this long. She called her phone and it went straight to voicemail which is weird because like she was going to add minutes to her phone. So it should have been be able to get it. 
Immediately, her mom files a missing persons report. Since it's a minor, like the community like snapped into it. They were like, they got her on the news that night. They like really pushed her story to get out there. So maybe if someone had like seen her get in a car or if she just went somewhere and was like, because she they said that she was mad at her mom. One of her friends had saw her walking and was like, hey, why are you upset? And she's like, my mom and I had a fight. Maybe she just wanted to blow off some steam. Maybe someone would be like, hey, you need to fucking call your mom. Like she's. She's put the word out <laughs> for you, which mm-hmm. good thing for Teresa because <laughs> Teresa was also dealing with addiction and just wasn't like, you know, sitting around getting high. Like she was actively trying to find her kid. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the community would come together. They even did like searches in local fields and they had horses come pe- like from out of state from like Texas. People came to do the searches. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. When I say that, I forget. Sometimes I forget how close like Texas and Louisiana are, but like... Kind of, kind of reminded me of like when the Kaylee Anthony thing happened when they like brought them out. I think it was kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, her body was found on November fifteenth, two thousand eight, just under two weeks. It was twelve thirty p.m. and a searcher found her body on a roadside a half mile south from Louisiana eleven twenty six on Keystone Road, about four miles south of Roanoke. Although her death was classified was actually classified as a homicide, the toxicology reports have never been released. And I think that has a lot to do with her age. Oh, okay. Hmm. Just under a year after her death, her cause of death was actually confirmed and it was listed as asphyxiation. Another thing to note is that Brittany was extremely close with Muggy. Apparently, they were like best friends. And she is the cousin of another victim, Kristen Gary Lopez, which like all of these people are so intertwined. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So our eighth and final victim that we know of, because like part of me is convinced that there's probably other people out there we don't know about, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was Nicole Jean Guillory. Nicole was last seen on August 16th, 2009. She was a 26-year-old mother of four. Her remains were discovered by a highway worker mowing the grass. She was left Mm -hmm. between mile markers 72 and 73 near westbound I-10, the I-10 Egan exit between Crawley and Jennings. Mark Dawson, who was the county coroner, ruled her death as asphyxia as well, or probably. She is also one of the people we don't know a ton about, which is just sad because these are people and like someone knows something about. Mm -hmm. So just if you know any of these people, let me know because my heart breaks that there's not like an abundance of like celebration of life for these women Mm -hmm. out there. We should change that. 100%. Now I'm going to hand it over to Tara, who's going to just tell us about the clusterfuck of Jennings, Louisiana. Oh, God. Oh, all right, y'all. This is just a clusterfuck altogether. So basically, like, what's going to happen is it's not our normal, like, here's the investigation timeline, beautiful and perfect for you. No, we're just going to kind of talk about, like, it as a whole, kind of, and some key players that are all sketchy as fuck and everybody's fucking intertwined, like Jessica's already explained. So, like, just buckle up for all this bullshit. Okay, so when I was researching this, it reminded me of the Molly and Colt case a lot with all the bullshit with the cops, which I'll get into a little later. Yeah, more raging and sassiness ahead. Oh, God. Okay. So basically, like I said, I just got some like weird things that happened with some of these victims. And then on the, I guess I'll call it the civilian side. And then also later on the law enforcement side, we'll get into that because there's so many fucking people that are all related to each other. It's really confusing. So I was like, that's the easiest way to do it without confusing everybody. Okay. So I want to talk about Loretta. So with her, everyone, not just the police, 
they assumed that her death was like a fallout from like a drug deal because of where she was found Mm. on that location. Because apparently on Highway I-10, it's like a drug trade situation. So basically they were like, oh, it was a drug deal gone bad, you know, whatever. And just, I guess they thought, okay, cool. Let's not fucking worry about it. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? But okay. So with a couple of these victims, they actually did have some suspects. So with Ernestine, there were two men who had actually been charged with second degree murder for her case. Those two men were Byron Chad Jones and Lawrence Nixon. Now, that last day she was said to be seen alive and whatnot. Byron was having sex with her and Lawrence was waiting outside, which I was like, ew, Lawrence, you fucking creep. What the fuck are you doing standing outside? But I guess better than standing inside. I don't know. <laughs> I know I laughed. I just guess it was more of like the awkwardness of, yeah, yeah. I mean, if those are your two options, inside or outside. I would have been like, please wait outside. <laughs> right? I'm just like, oh, God. But Lawrence was related to Muggy. They were cousins. And how their arrest came about was that Lawrence's wife, Lucinda, she came forward and said that the two of them had came home with an enormous bloody garbage bag and that her husband, Lawrence, convinced that they were responsible for her murder, which is interesting. But a common theme we're going to see here, guys, is that people get arrested and the magically charges are dropped. And this was the case due to lack of evidence. Another theme throughout this freaking whole thing. Now, moving on to Kristen, there was also two people arrested in her case as well. It was Frankie Richard and his niece, Hannah Connor. Now, Frankie is going to come up a lot, a lot, a lot Mm -hmm. in all of this. Now, with her case, it was noted that he actually confessed to someone in rehab saying that him and Hannah killed Kristen. And this is how the whole arrest and everything, you know, got on authorities' radars, what have you. They went and re-interviewed the person he allegedly confessed to, and then, you know, they were both arrested, but sadly, they were released too due to lack of evidence. Like, I'm gonna say that probably 500 fucking times, but, you know, they just, they had nothing, supposedly. And there was actually a third person that Jessica's already brought up before who was arrested in terms of Kristen's case. Y'all remember Tracy? She was booked as an accessory after the fact. She was actually the person who called and reported her missing, but authorities believe that she actually knew where her body was when she called. But again, you can guess what happened. Lack of evidence released. And it's just kind of like, are you grasping for straws or do you really think there's something there or is there something else? I'm going to leave that alone. We're not going to get into that quite yet. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) just these questions for you. I think any time someone was like, yep, I got information on these people, they were like, let's go round them up. Um, And then they're like, oh, well, that's all we had was this person who isn't a reliable source's word. Goodbye. Pretty much. Jeez. But I do want to tell you all about Frankie a little bit to give you guys some context. So Frankie was very well known. He was a pimp and a drug dealer there in town. And also, fun fact, he was an informant for the sheriff's office. Like, so much so, they gave him a specific burner phone to call them up and all of that. Oh, Frankie. Yeah. He also knew all of the victims, which, I mean, at that point, it's like, everybody knows everybody. Of course, he knows the victims, so whatever. But it will get sketchier. Mm Mm-hmm. God. You know, like, the small town thing, plus, you know, the sex work community, from what I've been told from people I know who have been in that or are in that, like... 
they're typically pretty tight knit, close knit, like you at least know other people in your area type of thing. So it makes sense, right? But he was just like one of the last people to see so many of these victims or be seen with the victim. Like seven of them? Yeah, almost all of them. And on one of the things, I don't know if it was the Discovery Plus thing or a different thing we watched, but it was like they were asking like, do you know them? Da, da, da. And he's like, well, yeah, of course I knew them, whatever. And he's like, well, did you have sex with them? And he's like, yeah, a couple of them whatever it's fine yeah and one of them he said in one of his interviews he says pretty much all of them which i was like Mm -hmm. sir one of them was 17 yeah that better be the one you didn't i know i know but i don't trust that at all but yeah he was not a good person obviously and he had actually been in jail for like separate rape charges when all of this was going on so yeah Mm -mm. not a good person now I do want to circle back to Muggy now, and there's another weird coincidence again, is that she was, okay, I do have to let y'all know, like, pretty much everybody was an informant. I don't know, I don't remember if you said that or not, but, like, pretty much everybody was an informant. But Muggy, she was an informant for this guy named Michael Janice, and he's the one who found her body. Come again? So that's weird. Mm-hmm. He the guy go into the shooting range at 2 a.m. Yeah, he didn't find mm-hmm. her body. He placed her body. Come at me, people. I got a crochet hook. I can defend myself. <laughs> yeah, just something to keep in mind. Just something to keep in mind. And oh my God, something so sad with Nicole that I either read or I saw on something was that her birthday was close to when mm. she died. And her mom was like, wanted to get her a cake and all of that. And, you know, she was talking to her about it or whatever. And Nicole said, don't worry about a cake. I won't be alive for it. That breaks my heart. That was so bad. And she was just like, she essentially told her mom and everybody else, she was like, I know too much. And the cops are responsible for these other girls' death. And they're going to come after me next. And yeah. So yeah, that's um, that's kind of like the weird non- law enforcement directly said well i guess that one is kind of law enforcement but whatever like i said this whole thing is clusterfuck but i want to dive in more into the sheriff's department and how they may or may not i know we have to be like unbiased but whatever involved because like i was reading through comments on stuff and there was like so many people on there they're like yeah like 70 to 80 percent of people who live there think that they're who is responsible and there's like so many documentaries like you just see locals there they're like nope it's the law enforcement like this is still an unsolved case for all of these women because they don't want it solved and i hate that so much i fucking hate that so much but like i said you know you got to make your own decision on all of that. But here's a lot of sketchy stuff for you guys. So I want to start with a guy named Jesse Ewing. He's probably like the only one who isn't like, you know, a piece of shit. So he was a part of the sheriff's department and he was conducting interviews. And obviously they're all recorded, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in December of 2007, he was actually interviewing Hannah Connor, Frankie's niece. And she brought up the truck that Kristen was last seen in before she died. And she said that a certain individual named named Warren Gary purchased it from a lady named Connie Seiler, who's an associate of Frankie's, of course. And wouldn't y'all know, Warren Gary was the chief investigator on the sheriff's department and this case. I just, <gasps> I mean, neglect of duty, like, I don't, mm. Mm. Oh, you're, yeah, mm-hmm. we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but yes. Mm-hmm. I read that and I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Am I reading a fictional script for a movie? Oh, no, this is real life. Right? 
No, this is fucking real life, sadly. So what had happened was it said that he purchased the truck from Connie for about seven to $8,000. And the purpose of this was to scrub it of any evidence left on it. Well, he did get the truck detailed and washed and then flipped it for 15K. So now you're like, oh my God, please be in deep shit. No, no, that doesn't happen. We know that's not what happens. So what happened was he was fined 10K not charged at all with anything. And actually, he was rewarded. He was promoted to be in charge of the fucking evidence room. It's like, (laughs) how do you have a corrupt police department 101? Take the cop that's willing to do corruption. Literally. Put him in charge of all of the evidence. Hope nothing goes wrong. Oh my God, I fucking can't. So now you might be wondering what happened to Jesse since this all went so well for fucking Warren. Well, he's the one that got in trouble. So after hearing this, like in the interview and everything, he took the tapes to a PI because he's like, holy shit, like I cannot trust my workplace. I cannot. But the PI took it to the FBI, which led it being turned over to the task force that was put together. And this was with, of course, the sheriff's department, state level and federal agents as well were all on this. And in turn, Jesse was arrested for obstruction. And basically because he, I can't, I don't know how to say this word, but basically what happened was it was it's essentially this fancy word for wrongdoing by a public official. And they were saying, no, 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 you gave this to a civilian instead of your chain of command like you done fucked up. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I didn't give it to his chain of command because you're all fucking right. Mm, bad. But anyway, so all of that happened and it said he pled out of the like, you know, wrongdoing charge, but he was fired <laughs> because he's the only one who was doing something. Yeah, this is like, there's a legit Criminal Minds. There's two episodes on Criminal Minds. It's exactly like this. Mm -hmm. It's episode, it's season nine, episode 23 and 24. It's called Angels. One is Angels. Oh, you found it. Demons. I just looked it up because I was like, this is Mm -hmm. so, literally, it's cops and sex workers and drugs Mm -hmm. and people like cops doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. It's legit. Oh, man. I recommend everyone watching it. Yes. Now, another key player who is worth mentioning is David Barry. Some articles called him Danny Barry. So I don't I don't know if that's like a nickname, but I'm like, how do you get Danny out of David? But okay, (laughs) he was a jailer and he was actually not a good person either. He had lots of accusations of abusing inmates. And I read multiple articles of like all the horrible shitty things he would do to people while they were in there. And it was just it was all bad. Also, on top of that, him and his wife were known to go out and pick up sex workers, which at first I was like, okay, well, that's their business. Don't like whatever. But no, it's bad. They They would actually drug these girls and take them back to a trailer that they had a, quote, sex dungeon in and do whatever they did. Yeah. The fuck? Yeah. I'm like, oh, all right. Fucking scary. And he's also connected to Brittany Gary's case because he was said to be the last person seen with her because she was seen getting into his vehicle. I don't even know how to respond half the time with this shit. Mm -hmm. And he only was asked to be sat down with the task force once. And of course, he was like, deny, deny, deny. I don't know her, blah, 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 all of that crap. So yeah. And when I was reading about the task force and everything, you would think it'd be a good thing because there's other people trying to be involved with this. But the family was like, nah, it just made it worse. Like it didn't fucking do anything. (laughs) 
which just breaks my heart. Well, when you have an entire like police force, which is the, what the task force is made up of. Right. Yeah. Even if you want to look at it like they just didn't care because of, they thought, oh, they're just sex workers, whatever. Oh, no, it's more than that. It's more than that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying like, even if that's like the line that you were like, okay, right. whatever, mm-hmm. at some point, people are going to be like, I just don't trust you anymore because I don't think you Right, care. exactly. Ob- obviously, a lot of this shit goes way beyond mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, to kind of round off my law enforcement list, there's a couple who are both involved with law enforcement there or were. Their names were Paula and Terry Guillory. And Paula was a detective with the sheriff's department, of course. And she was a member of the task force. Well, wouldn't you know, she ended up losing fucking evidence and got fired. I was like, well, why does she get fired for fucking with evidence? Like, I mean, she should because that's a bad thing to do. But like, like weird. She gets fucking fired for losing evidence. But like old boy Warren, he fucking got rid of evidence and got a promotion. Okay. Okay. Just like Jesus Christ. And her husband, Terry, was the warden. And he was like, I mean, it's just kind of funny because when they're like, and he knew everyone. And I'm like, well, duh, everybody knew everyone. (laughs) Especially on that side of the tracks. Like everybody knew everyone's business. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was said to do trades with sex workers to help them get out of their legal troubles and make them go away for favors. Oh, he's one of those. Mm-hmm. He's what? He, what's that? Casey Anthony's lawyer. He's one of those. Jose Bias. <laughs> yeah, I just I like erase his name from my, my mind. <laughs> it's okay. Like I don't care about. It. Yeah, yeah, and he was connected to like multiple victims, at least one with having sexual relationships with them. I think it was Loretta. So, yeah, Jesus. But, like, okay, so when I'm reading all this craziness, I'm like, I am so glad this story blew up because, like, it could have been one of those things where it's like nobody had heard about it. But obviously, it just went in the right hands and it picked up on national news, right? And I think also, too, it was like when the fucking sheriff was like, oh, he literally said in, like, a shameful way that these women were living high-risk lives. So it was basically their fault that this was expected type of thing. And then tried to come out with some bullshit apology. And everyone's like, what the fuck? that sheriff, like, when I first started watching, like, it happening, I was like, okay, he's just really, if this is really over his head, he's just like, he's also probably really proud and not asking. But, like, the more victims started, like, piling up and the more he was, like, not doing anything extra, I was just like... Um, sir. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think it was like either Brittany or Nicole. He was just like, man. Mm-hmm. It was like his attitude was so blah. Yeah, yeah. It was just disgusting. Fuck it, disgusting. Well, there is an important reporter to mention, and if anyone listening is familiar with this case, you're probably like, when the fuck are you gonna mention him? Well, now here he is. Um, there's a guy named Ethan Brown. He was from New Orleans, and he at this time he was a reporter. He went over there, and he's like, I'm gonna start doing my own investigation because I smell bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he started talking with locals and whatnot and all the thing and all that. And they're all saying, you know, these same things like, no, the cops are involved. Like, this is not a serial killer. Like they're trying to say there is more to this. And so, you know, he starts putting all the dots together and he did an article on Medium, which obviously would be on the sources page and all that good stuff that actually ended up leading to be a book deal for him. And like, I really want to read the book now. I'm like, oh, my God. I discovered it too late. It wouldn't have got here in time. (laughs) And of course, when all this is like, you know, happening and he's like writing it and stuff, law enforcement's like, no, this is a bunch of bullshit. His theory is just that a theory, blah, blah, blah. You know, well, 
they got a little more hostile because one day one of his sources called him or like talked to him and they said, quote, heard more than once that you'll never get that book out. You can take that however you want to, end quote. And of course, that like made him nervous to go back. Like, I mean, he, you know, did eventually, but he was like, I was very wary about it. Like, I took it seriously. You know, holy shit. But this book did come out. It was like back in 2016. And it seems like it's a really good detailed book from what I was like reading on reviews and stuff. So, I mean, you guys can check into that and to kind of dive into that theory with the sheriff's department involved with the girl's deaths was I don't feel like it's such a reach. Just saying. But a little weird side note I came across in one of my articles, apparently in his book, he exposed some dude that was running for Senate as engaging with like sex workers and stuff like that. Oh, that's always fun. Right. And then the guy, he threatened to sue Ethan and the publisher, but he lost the Senate election anyway. And then after he lost the election, he fucking dropped the charges. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, drop them because he thought maybe if he could get them Mm -hmm. dropped. Or like, you know, like, or if he could get them to like recant that, then he probably would do better in the press. But like, people were Not probably like, them. I'll tell. I'll tell stories. Mm-hmm, exactly. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, I, this case like is just, it's so frustrating because it's another one where it's like, everybody fucking knows. But yeah what the fuck can we do? You know what I mean? It's just, it's so fuck. It makes me so mad for these victims and their families and like all the kids of these victims too. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so heartbreaking. But I think it's going to be like Molly and Colt where like how we talked about unless somebody comes out and goes to the right person and tells all this shit, it like, that's the only way. That's the only way. I think at this point, like my theory is, is like they have to bring in like someone who isn't part of Jennings or Mm -hmm. Jefferson Davis County, like Mm -hmm. like a complete outsider FBI or like state police or something. Because the people in on the side of the tracks that isn't the good side, you know, they all have theories and like what they think, like who does what. And, mm-hmm. and they probably would talk to someone and they talk to PIs, but they won't talk to the police. Right. Because one, like imagine if you are a known drug user and you go in and you say, this police officer did this. We've seen this time and time again where people will like suddenly those people are hit with real Mm -hmm. hard charges exactly, and things that this town probably lets a lot of people skate on. They're going down for. Right. Yeah. And if you were living that kind of a lifestyle where you were doing things that were illegal, you wouldn't trust police. Mm -hmm. That's just logical. Right. Exactly. I mean, I read in an article, I don't know how real it is, I didn't look too in depth, but it was like, the sex worker ring is so deep that they like literally bring them to the prison to like service people at the prison. Mm. I don't know how legitimately it was. It was like one of those like, you know, articles, but like the fact that someone's out there telling people that this happens, I'm like, I don't fucking doubt it. Yeah, there's so much. It's so much. Oh my gosh, it's so much. Well, let us know what you guys think. Well, this case definitely was super frustrating because it just seems like there's mm-hmm. there's just so much out there that we don't know. And there are eight women and eight, I mean, I say eight families, but like literally like a c- entire community is fractured because of this. And they, I mean, it's been 11 years since the last killing that's been involved and they're not healed. So I hope that healing does come and we do get answers. And if we something comes out, we'll definitely let you guys know. With that, we're going to go ahead and end the episode and we will see you back here on Thursday for a stabby snippet. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.